Hello, and welcome back to An Abundance of Thrones. This Woo-hoo! podcast focused Sorry. on the <laughs> Game of Thrones HBO series. I am Garrett, and I am accompanied by Brad and Wade. Hello. Wow, that was like simultaneous, you guys. <laughs> you, do you want to jinx, jinx each other, or do you just want to let that go? We'll just let it slide. Fantastic. Uh, we are going to be recapping Season 5, Episode 1 of Game of Thrones, titled The Wars to Come, uh, a phrase that was actually uttered twice in the show, one by Varys and one by... Um, what's his face? King Beyond Not the Wall. Varys. Oh, Mantraider. Mantraider. Yeah, thank you. He technically um, doesn't call himself a king. No, they, they call him the King Beyond the Wall. Do you watch the show? <laughs> no, but I think the wildlings don't refer to him as a king, do they? I think they do. Um, anyway, a little bit of uh, data on the episode. This is directed by Michael Slovis, his debut uh, director spot for Game of Thrones, who he will also directing the next episode as well. Writers are the Double Ds, David Benioff and D.B. Weiss. On the viewership front, this is always kind of the fun numbers, just for a little perspective... Season 4 finale pulled in 7.09 million viewers. Let's call it 7.1. The season 5 premiere, nearly a million more at 8.0 even million viewers for the episode. Yay. I wonder how much of that has to do with the success of HBO's new platform. uh, And yeah, unfortunately that's not expressed anywhere. Uh, sure. regarding what the viewership is based on. Is it based on cable viewing? Is it based on show viewing? Um, is it based on original time of air or, you know, anything like that? Um, so, the but, numbers that I saw were based off of who was watching at time of air and the rest of the day on demand. Okay, but only so, for, what, a 24-hour period or something like that? I believe so, yes. Okay, that makes With sense. numbers still rolling in for total viewership that makes sense because the viewership wasn't posted until today uh it was yep. not posted uh immediately following the premiere date monday so um so yeah we've got we've got a lot going on this episode normally we read off the summary but we're going to do something a little bit different this week and this season so brad why don't you um why don't you start us off with season one here scene one here scene one sure so um before we get to that, or right before we get to that, this is taking from books four and five for That's those correct. of our listeners that uh, have read along. And if and you those... remember, I believe we discussed this last season, four and five actually run simultaneously. And for the record, four is uh, a feast for crows, I believe, and five is a dance of dragons. Oh, and spoiler alert. <laughs> significant, yes. Significant spoiler alert. Okay, I mean, so not significant beyond this episode. It's we're not going to be. We're not going to go into what the book reveals about what's to come, but we are discussing the episode. So if you haven't seen it and don't want to know, stop now. But come so back. So we open up. Uh, first scene is a flashback. Yeah, the Thrones. first of the seas- series. Actually, first of the series. Really. I believe so. First of the season. No, series. I don't think they've done a flashback in any previous episode. Interesting. So uh, we open up with a very young 
pair of girls, actually, walking through the forest, I would say. Uh, yeah, kind of rainforesty. Um, it kind of threw me at first as to where we were. There was no real visual reference and clues as to what was going on here. Um, and they come upon a hut, I suppose, in the woods. Now, my first thought on this one was, and I was stupid, obviously, and you guys can chime in and agree with me here. My first thought was hut in a wild area must be Craster's Keep. Yeah, that was definitely not a thought of mine. Nope. Yeah, no. There was nowhere near enough snow. Anyway, uh, they go inside and meet a witch woman, and that was where it dawned on me from reading the books what was going on here uh, and where we were. And it's revealed that one of the two girls is Cersei when she was wee little girl. And uh, her friend, which is not named in the episode, although if I remember correctly, she is named in the book. Um, And this is the origin of the prophecy about Cersei's future and her king, or her marrying the king and having kids, but not the same kids, and her ultimate demise. Yeah, I mean, when I first saw the scene, I initially thought Marcella, Cersei's yeah, daughter. Yep. But then I thought, well, if we're in Dorne, they didn't show any Dornish cities in the opening segment. Yeah. I mean, in the opening sequence, which is amazing, um, they always tease you with either places they're going to show you or at least talk about. Um, they mentioned Winterfell. They didn't go there. Uh, we saw Pentos again, which we'll get to, but nowhere in Dorne yet. But then I saw this clip and I saw a young blonde. And because we haven't seen a flashback up till this point, I didn't think at first that we would have one. So I thought Marcella until it was expressed at the end of the clip that this was indeed Cersei. We could have seen that by the, uh, once again, the terrain where Dorne is I think probably more of a desert, desert. land. Yeah. It's alluded to be desert, but we haven't seen Dorne in the show, so we don't really know. They have water gardens, but they have a lot of sand. Their bastards are, are the surname is Sand. Much like in the north, the bastard surname is uh, Snow. Snow, as in John. Um, but we haven't seen it, so I thought maybe this was a, a region, whatever. So that was sure. my first thought. Um, interesting that the prophecy or the witch told her that her children were will wear golden crowns and golden shrouds. Now, I'm not quite sure of the shroud part, but all her kids are blonde of hair. So, would that allude? Is the golden crowns alluding to them all being uh, kings or queens? Or is it alluding to the fact that they're all blonde of hair? I think that's deliberately left ambiguous. Yeah, because I agree. you figure um, Joffrey's been king and died, and Tommen is king. Yep. And uh, Marcella is betrothed and in theory eventually will be, or she is a princess and therefore wears a crown. So I think that's deliberately ambiguous. Uh, And I would agree. Now, as we said, the prophecy indicates that Cersei will be, uh, I want to say overthrown, but will be replaced by a younger, more beautiful queen. I've heard other people talk about, well, this could be Daenerys. This could be... um, a, you know, maybe Sansa or somebody like that. Obviously, Cersei believes this to be Marjorie Tyrell. Yes. As we get the look of death 
uh, in the next <laughs> scene. Uh, Wade, do you have anything else to chime in on the flashback? No, I mean, it's, it was pretty cut and dry. We had the, except for the whole prophecy part uh, of what may be expected to come. I know with Game of Thrones, it's always subtlety is the key. Correct. Uh, my big thing I heard from this real quick before we move on is that the witch, which is named as Maggie, informs Cersei that the king will have 20 children. Have we seen 20 bastards in the show? Or have it at, no. least, at least been alluded to? Um, not a specific number that I recall. I know we know of a few. Um, and we know that the show has taken some liberties because I know there was a blending of Gendry's character with uh, another bastard. Right. So. Um, but I don't think there's been a number placed on it. I have, yeah, that's what I thought either. I heard 20 in the, in the, in the um, prophecy and I thought, wow, that's a lot. <laughs> Robert was busy. Busy guy. Yep. Well, like they said, what in the first episode, probably of the season, not season series, that when he was young, all he wanted to do was crack skulls. And by the way, this is an adult podcast. <laughs> Fuck girls, you know. Yes. But when he finally has the reign to do so, what is he going to do? Take all the liberties he can. There you Absolutely. go. So, fair enough. And like that could be said for any teenager, but hey, when your basically laws don't affect you, because <laughs> if your social that's that, right. your social I'm standing special. Mm-hmm. Po- absolute power corrupts absolutely. Pretty much. Absolutely. All right. So moving on, we uh, transition into King's Landing, where we see Cersei approaching. The now deceased father, Tywin. Wah, wah, shed a tear. Uh, and she yeah, chastises her brother I can a little bit. Muster any sadness on that one. Yeah, I mean, some interesting things were said later in the show. Maybe we'll touch base on regarding Tywin. Uh, however, we see Cersei uh, chastise Jamie a little bit. And then we move into kind of a. Uh, Reception, so I want to say reception, but I don't know what I forget what the term is. Awake, thank you, where everyone uh-huh. is expressing their condolences. One of which being um, Lancel Lannister, who has adopted into the clan of the Sparrows, which is a radical uh, religious cult following the Seven. And uh, you know, everyone so sorry for Cersei and Lannister's loss. What I found really interesting with this scene, or at least the, the initial part where Cersei's chastising Jamie, is that she seems to be expressing this very hurt mourning that Tywin is dead. Yet the last time they saw each other from season four, she told Tywin that all the dirty, filthy rumors about Cersei and Jamie that he wouldn't believe are in fact true and was pretty much telling him to pound sand. She wasn't going to marry Loris. Uh, because she wants to be with Jamie and deal with the father. So now that he's dead. I didn't dead, take this as, sim- as, as, um, as sorrow at all. Okay. She, well, she's not sorry that he's dead. She's sorry that she couldn't the do it? protection <laughs> that he afforded is gone. 
Okay. She's still very much playing the Game of Thrones. Oh, the, there's very few people playing it better. Absolutely. So it's not so much that he's gone, she misses her father. I mean, we didn't see any tears. There was no Yeah, it's sadness. not an affection factor, but there's no. definitely pain involved. But Whether it's... Pain over, over, you know, now everybody's going to come for them. But that was Jamie's point and not Cersei's. You know, True. Jamie was the one worried about all the enemies outside these walls that are going to try to take down the Lannister lineage. And Cersei was just, how how could you let him die? You indirectly had a hand in this. At least our brother did it on purpose. Right. Uh, which was kind of a fun and uh, hit spot on. The vindictiveness <laughs> of this woman, even sit, standing at the side of her father's body, she's still slinging insults and nasty comments. That's what she does. She's Cersei. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's... Be that you do it better. That right. cold-hearted to be able to do that. Just wow. Yep. Yeah. Uh, so at the wake, we meet her uncle again, which we saw in season two, one maybe, where the war council after Ned Stark was dead. I think it was season two, um, when Tyrion comes back with the, um, not the wildlings, but the mountain the, men. The mountain men after he leaves the Eyrie. Thank you. So we meet the uncle again, who is Lancel's father, and we're introduced to essentially the Sparrow Brotherhood or cult. Sparrows. Um, that Lancel has decided to dedicate himself to. Lancel expressed that although he was wounded in Blackwater Bay battle, it wasn't his body that needed healing. Oh, poor Lancel was heartbroken. Because more of his spirit was broken. <laughs> yeah, something was broken. Yeah. Um, he, he was missing being between Cersei's sheets. That's right. Even though he apologized for the unnatural relationship or whatever he says. Whatever. And then I think lastly we see uh, uh, Loris uh, engaging in whatever he pleases with zero regard for uh, who his, sees. Because he makes it clear that anyone and everyone already knows what's the point in hiding it. This being yeah. his uh, sexuality. Absolutely. Obviously. So I thought that was, I mean, not interesting, but I mean, at least he's he's realistic in that. Look, it, it's not a secret anymore. Everyone knows. So mm -hmm. whatever. Fuck it. Um, hmm. I think we're done in King's Landing. So our next scene takes us to Pentos. Um, Which we haven't we... seen since season one. Yes. Yeah, so, this is where we were, were introduced actually... to the Targaryens for the first time. And we're going back to the exact same house, to yes. the house of uh, Magistrate Illyrio. Yep. And uh, we see uh, Varys break Tyrion out of his box, finally, <laughs> in a slightly pissed off form. I'm thinking uh, Varys is, is starting to get good at breaking people out of boxes, even if he's the <laughs> one that puts them in the boxes. Well, and I kind of understand um, Tyrion being slightly pissed off here, being <laughs> kept in the box. Why couldn't you let me out after we left the sh left the harbor? And I love the conversation here, too. Yeah, absolutely. 
<laughs> it was brilliant. About having to uh, pass shit through holes <laughs> on the side of the box. Do you know what it's like to pass shit through an air hole? <laughs> no, but I know what it's like to pick it up and throw it overboard. <laughs> uh, we get a very interesting glimpse here into the particular version of Game of Thrones that Varys is playing. Yes. He's definitely playing the long game here. Yeah. We find out here that was never expressed that he is a Targaryen supporter. That's pretty, um, well, I would say ballsy, but... Um, it's pretty. It's kind of a pretty heavy bombshell, really, to be dropped on, on us, because all we ever hear from him is that he's supporting the realm, but we don't really know to what end or what means. Now we find out. But apparently out. he's made the decision that the Targaryens are best for the realm. Agreed. Although, given um, as much as we love her, given Danny's track record, I don't know that she's the person to bring peace. Well, we're not we're not there yet. I think Sorry. you're jumping ahead. Sorry. But yeah, <laughs> we get uh, we get a, a really funny, and I think this is kind of a brilliant thing that Game of Thrones does as a show. Is we're talking about pretty serious stuff. It's a very um, you know drama heavy show, but then they throw in kind of these comedic. Uh, interactions with the characters. You got Tyrion and Varys uh, talking about moving shit around. Uh, Tyrion pukes after drinking his wine and pours himself another glass. <laughs> um, we get a clip where Tyrion's standing at, at, at a wall, like a little ledge, and kind of calls Varys all the names that he's known for. Master of, He's the spider, master of whispers, eunuch. And then Varus turns it right back to him, half man, imp. Um, so it's, I think it's, there's a little bit of a friendship developing here. Definitely a mutual respect, respect and yeah. Especially when after half man, Tyrion racing class are like touche. Yeah, it's kind of like <laughs> you got me. Um, but yeah, I, I really love these two characters' interactions, and in the book, it was far more involved. Uh, mm -hmm. back in King's Landing, but it's nice to see that it's going in that direction. Yep. Uh, anything more for Pentos, Wade? Mm, not really knowing which more Pentos is, but I mean, it's obviously Varys is playing the long game, and he has a role for Tyrion, so is it likely will we have Tyrion walking technically back into king's landing despite the gaze of seriously that'd be fun to see it'd be fun but unlikely i think um okay i know so, where he goes sorry <clears throat> shut your face you're coming uh, over here in a couple weeks we that's have right duct tape <laughs> <laughs> i don't know what kind of bondage you're into wade but just so just he doesn't talk and spoil the show uh -huh, for me uh -huh, uh -huh, oh okay uh -huh. great great all right, so we're in Slaver's Bay now, uh, transitioning with Daenerys. We start off with some of the Unsolid tearing down the harpy atop the Great Pyramid of Marine. Um, and then we see an Unsolid, to us uncharacteristically, visit a brothel. What? To what end? What? Hey, just because you don't have the parts doesn't mean you don't love the company, I guess. Uh, but unfortunately, this Unsolid, we find out its name is White Rat meets his demise by the hand of what's called the Sons of the Harpy, another fanatical group who clearly is not happy with Daenerys' uh, reign. 
in Marine. And then she, they're they're really not thrilled with the reform she's uh, they're, she they're, started. They're really not happy about it. And then Danny's love or well hookup returns Dario, <laughs> and uh, you know she gets her she gets a little bit of action and a little bit of um, consult, so to speak. Mm-hmm. About maybe the actions she should be taking. Those actions yeah. being potentially opening up the fighting pits, and also, you're the mother of dragons. You might want to show it. Yeah, you know it's interesting. We're getting, we're getting beyond the, uh, the glitz and the glamour of conquering, and now settling into the mundane day-to-day tasks of reigning. And it's becoming extremely apparent that Danny has had no training for this. Yeah, no, that's you very know? true. She's putting her morals into it and not really. She doesn't giving see a the thought, big picture. Yeah, thought about. Yeah. Well, if people get mad, there's only going to be one person who they're going to be mad at. Well, we see this really uh, strongly when Dario returns with. Uh, an advisor from uh, Yonkai. And he informs her that, well, politics are about compromise and we've set up this other thing, but the people really need something else. They need some entertainment with the fighting pits. And she says, well, I'm not a politician. I'm a queen. You'll just do what I say. Right. And that'll get you to a point, but it's not a yeah, long term. Yeah, that only gets you so far. Exactly. Um, we also get to revisit the dragons, which were we locked do. away. We see Viserion and Rhaegal once again. They were uh, locked away at the end of season four, but things are not quite so happy in the dragon family. Yeah, the dragons aren't so happy to see mommy after all. Yeah, you know, a couple teenage kids that have been locked in their room for I mean, I'd a be, while. I'd be pretty pissed off if someone gave me a hamburger put a chain around my neck and then locked me in a cave with zero light. Right. I'd be pretty pissed. And they are. Breathing fire only goes so far. (laughs) (laughs) Damn it. Who feeds them anyway? I mean, they just send unsolid down to die to feed the dragons. How how does that work? No, they feed the, they use criminals. There you go. They just just give them a, a raw uh, meat vest. And yeah. go, go in there. If you make it out alive, you're free. Yeah. <laughs> and then as soon as you walk in, close door. That's right. It's not like they can hunt. They're all chained up. I mean, they can't even get the rats in the corner of the room. Yeah. Well, as soon as one gets close, cook. Okay. So yeah. uh, regarding Daenerys and regarding her inability to deal with the dragons and seeing that Varys wants to take... Tyrion to meet Danny, and we know Tyrion reads books because a mind needs books like a sword needs a whetstone. Would any of those books have anything to do with, oh, I don't know, dragon training? <laughs> it's a thought. Well, considering he spent time in Winterfell and at the Wall, and everywhere that we have seen Tyrion go, he's always reading. He wants to visit the libraries of wherever he is. I was about to say, he also has <laughs> or the brothels. He also has experience being locked up. Oh, yes. <laughs> this is true. He's got first-hand experience. <laughs> he's like, look, I know what you're going through. <laughs> <laughs> They're his homies. 
<laughs> I think it's extremely likely, although this is speculation, um, I think it's extremely likely he's come across books on maybe not a how-to guide. You know, it's not dragon, dragon taming for dummies. But... <laughs> dragon? The Westeros edition. That's right. Um, you know, Seven Kingdoms edition. That's right. Um, but I think it's entirely likely he's come across books, a book or multiple books that discuss dragon training, at least. How to train your dragon for peasants, but only <laughs> able to be purchased by noblemen, which would make the thing absolutely pointless. I think you it, tried it, it. It's the real right version there. of how to train your dragons. Yeah, that's right. Well, the Westerosi version. Yeah, that's well. Yeah. So, um, yeah, Daenerys is having a tough time trying to figure out uh, the lesser of two evils of ruling, and uh, realizing that her ace in the hole is not necessarily a viable option right More now. More of a jack. Yeah. <laughs> More of a jester. Yeah. Um, it's not not really much in play here. I agree. Okay, so I think we're moving on to the veil. Yeah. So um, I'm trying to remember where we left this with. Uh, I think it was was with Sansa sticking up for Lord Baelish and uh, defending him, and now we see him trying to train Lord Robin into somewhat of a lord. Instead of just a spoiled child. Um, yeah, it looks like they're trying to give him a little world experience. I think they life just, lessons. may just look like they're more just kind of uh, pawning him off. Well, they're trying to wean him, first of all. Yeah. Now that mommy is no longer available to suckle on. Literally, actually. Yes. Cow's milk for him. <laughs> Chose those words specifically. Yes, yes. Very, very wise choice. Um, but we're seeing we're seeing a lot of uh, knowledge being passed from Baelish to Sansa, uh, and they're right away from where they were. Um, Lord Royce's uh, estate. We'll we'll go with. Whereas Sansa makes a statement of, if he wanted to backstab us, he would have done so already. Mm-hmm. Why are we traveling west when we said we were going east? And Baelish makes a very, well, it's fairly obvious but profound statement in that just because uh, Lord Royce is maybe as honorable as he thinks he is doesn't mean that all the other eyes and ears within his um, residence are. Correct. And that sometimes you've just got to take that extra precaution. I find it interesting, too, the number of near misses that we have encountered. And obviously they're deliberate from the writer's standpoint. But, you know, the fact that we see Brienne and Podrick camped right there. She's found Arya at the end of season four. And Arya handily told her where she could shove her sword. Correct. Um, And now she's... That leaves her trying to find Sansa and having no idea where she is as she rides past in the carriage. Yeah. <clears throat> I mean, it's just like the calamity of errors, right? I mean, so close and so far. You know, it makes me wonder, though, how much of this 
if you stop and think about it, how many times are we in real life this close to what we're trying to? And we have no idea. Oh, that's a very good point. I never, I didn't try to parallel that with life, but you know, sometimes <laughs> you know, that thing you're really searching for is just right just around the corner right there, but you're so caught up in what you're doing that you completely miss it. Yeah. I mean, I mean they, they weren't and looking at the composition of the shot. They weren't what? 200 feet off the road. Yeah. They were that close and just, no, not even nothing. I mean, even in a show synopsis, they talk about how, um, when she found Arya and Arya didn't want her protection. And then as uh, Brian or Brienne, depending on how you want to pronounce it and Podrick talk, Baelish and Sansa's caravan pass right by them. Yep. I mean, it, it is, it is literally just reach out your hand. You could touch it but you just don't have the knowledge. And then we get uh, kind of a little bit of uh, tension between Brian and Podrick. She's feeling a little down on herself. She doesn't want to be a ruler. She doesn't feel she's a leader. She only wants to serve honorable people, of which she feels there aren't any anymore. A ruler? Lord, king. I mean, she... She doesn't wanted, want to be a ruler. She doesn't want to lead anybody. She <laughs> she expressed to Podrick that she's no leader. She's not even a knight to even warrant a squire. So she's feeling pretty depressed and down on herself, feeling a little inadequate, it seems. Well, you figure every... Mm, I use the word loosely, but every command that she has had, every position she has held, you know, she was part of the King's Guard for... Renly. Um, Renly. Renly died. Yep. She was part of the personal bodyguard for uh, Lady Stark. She's dead. Yep. She was tasked to find Arya. Arya told her to shove off. Yep. And she has no idea where Sansa is. So yep. everything she's done so far has completely backfired. And keeping in mind that she was tasked with... The only thing she's semi-succeeded in was getting Jamie back to King's Landing. She did ish. that, but yeah, exactly the ish he, factor. He was a hand short. That's right. Yeah. So, unfortunately, uh, yeah, things aren't going so well for uh, Brienne, Brian. I always say Brian because I hear the the audiobook in my head every time I see the see the character, of which the reader of the audiobook uh, says Brian, in the even though the show says Brienne. So, for our listeners, apologize my over pronunciation. Yeah, get get your head straight. Shut up. Um, finally, we are at the wall. Jon Snow is helping to train new recruits. Sam and Gilly discuss the new potential Lord Commander slot, uh, where Thorne is, uh, thinks he's kind of got that in the bag, it seems. He's being a little confident. And then Stannis wants a word with Jon, informs him that if Mance... Raider bends the knee and swears his loyalty to Stannis and has the wildlings fight in Stannis's army, then the wildlings will then be welcomed into Westeros, be given lands and potential titles, and live uh, unharmed or unobstructed. Happily ever after. But Mance has to make a hard choice here. Um, you know, a lot of us would think, okay, yeah, we'll just bend, bend the knee. I mean, it's the lesser of two evils, right? You get to save your people. You get to live 
what's the harm here? But to Mance, um, he's built up a reputation as strength and uh, unyielding. And at this point, to yield in front of all those that respect him would be not beneficial. Well, and there's a certain um, pregnant meaning that comes along with bending the knee, right? Yeah. You're surrendering. Essentially, they would be surrendering the core tenant of what they are. They are the free folk. Well, the moment you bend the knee to any other human being, then you're no longer free. You're servants of that human, Ex of, that, of that person. Exactly. And that's what Mance is really trying Personal, to get across yeah. to John. And John's not quite getting it. He's saying, look, you can save your people. They can have lands. All, all you've got to do is say that you'll be loyal to this person and things will work out for you. And Mance says, that's not, it's not what we're about. And as he says at the end there, the only thing I ever wanted was the ability to make my own mistakes. Mm -hmm. And that's an important thing. Yeah. No, not it's... just not just the ability to make your own choices, but the ability to make mistakes and learn from them, your own. Yep. Now we realize that there will be no learning from this mistake. This is truly a, um, it's kind of an internal moral conflict, right? You have your life and the lives of your people on one hand, and then you have uh, the morality or the tenets that the people live by. Yep. And to do one, you throw away the other. There's no middle ground here. And he pays the price for it. He does. However, his sentence was to be burned at the stake. Although that was initially carried out, John, in his respect for Mance and maybe his uh, emotional conflicts going on with him, uh, decides to mercy kill and um, put him out of his misery, so to speak. Now, this is very... I actually kind of see this as kind of a second way, just actually recently re-watching it. I, saw, I almost kind of saw as John of a mercy killing... But also for, to show the, the respect, how do I say this? Uh, I'm trying to think of a way how to say it. Uh, let's say, is it Bruce Bolton? Or is it... Bruce Bolton is the one that killed Rob at the Red Wedding. Okay, so it was... Stannis? Stannis, thank you. God, I'm terrible. Uh, Stannis, I think, was kind of show, you know, I'm going to show power by burning him at the stake. Yeah. You know, I'm big and strong and powerful I can take care of this guy in a brutal way but let's look where the wildlings free folk where they lived mm -hmm. that's their bread and butter what do you mean brutality sure they're not going to be swayed by brutality because they that's, that's all they pretty much know that's true when I think there were sorry finish up Wade when John sends the arrow into his heart saying, you know, you can he, still... He deserves better than this? Yeah. You can still live. Here's here's mercy. If you, you know, could it be leading for him to, for the free folk to go, okay, so this is something we really kind of haven't seen throughout any of our lives. Will they kind of see John not only giving mercy to their, quote, leader... 
but as someone they could kind of get behind. It's a viable potentiality. I find the method of killing here a very interesting choice. By Stannis? Yes. Okay. So much. I don't. So I'm curious as to where you go. There is so much emphasis put on it, though. But it's like, how will I? How will I die? By burning. You know, we had to bring it up. Right. Yes. We've already seen that we have the possibility of White Walkers that can only be killed or only stopped by burning. Yes. So I think there's a small part. I think this is a small part that they don't want any part of a body left because what if Mance comes back as a wraith? Okay. But Stannis has never seen a White Walker, so he's and that was his decision to burn. True. The only also thing true. he knows about is Jon Snow told him to burn the bodies. That's correct. Very true. However, I think the bigger component of this is Stannis's religion. Yes, the Lord the of fact Light. That the Lord of Light. The, you know, back in season two, we see Melisandre presiding over a burning of a great many people at Dragonstone. Yes, all at the stake. All, all on a beach. This reeks of her hand. Of course. And his, I don't want to say brainwashing, but his continued path Condition. down that road. Yeah. Because, I mean, we've seen him talk to Melisandre about, you know, uh, I don't necessarily believe in, in your god but you're getting me the results that i want right um he's, he's so he's going god. along with it yeah he's results driven and as man said if stannis keeps getting what he wants he'll probably be a better king than the idiots who sit on the throne now but it, yeah i mean he's there's consistency with stannis mm-hmm. and melisandre and so the burning was you know, to me it was, oh, it's Stannis. Of course it's going to be a burning. What else would it be? Well, and so John's intervention could potentially be construed as treason. Oh, I see a very strong conflict forming as a result of this. Mm-hmm. John wasn't able to get Mance to bend the knee as Stannis had more or less commanded. John takes away Stannis's thunder of the mercy killing. So there John from Stannis's perspective, at least for the show, uh there there's seems to be a wedge that's getting larger and larger between these two just from the few interactions we've seen. And Absolutely. it'll be curious as to what way to dress on is that obviously Stannis isn't winning over the wildlings. Uh, he showed up in force uh, north of the wall. He captured Mance, who they respected. He's now killing Mance, and which could arguably be one of the worst ways to go possible. And then you've got John, who they've known, they don't necessarily like, but they tolerate, who then gives Mance maybe the respect, more of a respectable death than the suffering one that was taking place. If you go back to the religion thing, wouldn't it just be like, isn't it just burning the bodies, not like killing them by flame? No, Melisandre, when we first meet I'm talking Stannis, about wildling tradition. Oh, yeah. Well, yes, wildling, wildling doesn't really have a religion. burning the bodies so they can't come yeah. back. Yeah. 
So it's it's no way with it's Stannis's brain washing from Melisandre <laughs> yes. rather than just him trying to play a nice card by. Oh no no he's not playing any games to try to win over the wildlings at all. This is all yeah, standard that's... operating procedure for him, burning at the stake because you're not doing what I want you to do. Mm-hmm. So I'm going to throw in a wild card here. Okay. Draw four. <laughs> Reverse. Darn. <laughs> Damn it. Okay. So it makes me wonder what the connection is between um, the Lord of Light and the, the whole religion that goes along with that and the Baratheon family. Um, elaborate. No mention is made of Renly so far that we know of. However... Obviously, Stannis has aligned himself very closely with Melisandre. Yes. And Robert had a red priest in his court. Did he? Thoris of Myr. Thoris of Myr, who is now with the Band of Brothers, who's the one who brought... Oh, what's his name? The guy that the Hound killed in the trial by combat brought him back after freaking getting darn near cut in half. Right, and he's been resurrected like five times now? Seven. That's what I meant. Yes. Um, <laughs> that's true because we did it here, if you recall back uh, to season four, where, um, um, not Bolton. What's the Beric knight? Dondarrion, by the way. Beric Dondarrion, who's we're talking about. Yes. Okay. Yes. And who's the knight that joined up with Danny and Mormont? What's his name? Sir Barris, Selmy, Barris and Selmy. We hear yep. Selmy and Jorah talk about uh, Thoris of Mir and the fight and his flaming sword, and they kind of got a uh-huh. chuckle out of that ridiculous flaming sword. Um, but going back At to the Renly, siege of Pike. yes. But going back to Renly, if you remember when Stannis approached them at the at his war camp, so to speak. And mm-hmm. Stannis had his flag with the flaming red heart, heart, yep. and the the stag over it. There was some uh, mildly accusatory statements towards Stannis, like you took this as your religion. I recall hearing Renly wasn't mm-hmm. too um, thrilled or happy or, or condoning of this, what we can only be understanding as a foreign religion into Westeros. Right. No, it's definitely foreign. It's from the free cities. But I, But what I was trying to get at is, I don't think that the Baratheon family is necessarily tied to um, the Lord of Light. Okay. Uh, is my understanding. Now, talking about religion, though, we have some interesting things going on in the world. Uh, we've seen that really the Lord of Light is the only one who where miracles are happening, right? Uh, Melisandre gives birth to the smoke baby. Um there's predictions in the fire. There's, you know, kind of the Lord of Light is is we're seeing these fantastical things guy. happening. Um, Sept of the Seven, not so much. It's just kind of this, this you know, place of worship, so to speak. Uh, not really anything physically is happening with that. Uh, the old gods we're seeing with Bran and the Three-Eyed Raven and the Godswood trees. So that's still kind of a thing. But now we're seeing... The sparrows from King's Landing, and we, and those book readers, know that that's that's only going to compound. 
So I'm curious is how much of Game of Thrones will, is going to turn into a religious war? And what religion would Danny fall under? Dun, dun, dun. Dun, the religion dun, of dun. screw you, I have dragons. <laughs> <laughs> I like that religion. Where do I get a copy? <laughs> I think that's a good place to leave it. That's the, right. The rhetoric of it is Dracaris. That's right. Every other word, Dracaris. Um, that's right. Yeah, that's going to do it, I think, for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. Next episode will be titled The House of Black and White, um, which we didn't touch on really. Just touching really quick, we see Arya getting dropped off at the doorstep in Essos to a big building with a door, one of black, one of white. Woohoo! Woohoo! So we'll see you guys so, next week. Until next time, Vala Margulis. Vala de Hyrus. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>